Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation, Bill Zimmerman with you. And that, that may have sounded like a fired up open, like that's the kind of open you think I would give when the Bears beat the Packers, you know, 44 to 3 and just put an exclamation point on the season and say that, that, that losing streak's behind us. But no, that kind of open is because the Bears were down 41 to 10 at the end of three quarters. An embarrassing performance, embarrassing performance by the coaching staff, an embarrassing performance by the offense, the defense. You know, you want to give the special teams a pass? Maybe you could do that. I'm not sure because it was just woeful in every aspect. And you can't be more frustrated than probably you've ever been as a Bears fan because they were so close. And we're going to talk about that. Lawrence Holmes from The Score is going to join us here in about 10 or 15 minutes. Really excited to talk to Lawrence. Always gives great opinions and great analysis about what's going on. I can't wait to hear what he has to say about what's going on in Chicago with this team because, you know, I've been kind of saying it's Groundhog Day and I've been saying I'm at a loss for words because I don't know if there's anything this offense can actually do. And here we are after this Packers game. And it's so disappointing and it's so frustrating because that 12 and 4 season that ended with the double doink, we can still taste it. We can still, as fans, sit there and go, they were so close. Not just so close. And and you know, correct me if I'm wrong. You come at me if I'm wrong, if you if you disagree with me. That 12 and 4 season felt like the start of something. It felt like the Chicago Bears were back. You sat there and said, Ryan Pace is executive of the year. This guy knows what he's doing. Mitch Trubisky isn't quite there, but he knows how to win football games, and he makes just enough plays. And when he puts it all together, this team, this offense is going to come together. Matt Nagy, his fun play calling, he's the guy who's going to guide Mitch. This defense is young and great, and a lot of these guys are locked down. And they're 12 and 4, and they win the division. And sure, it ended in disappointment against the Eagles, but you sat there and you almost didn't care after after a week or two after you got it out of your system because you said, they're going to be 12 and 4 next year and the year after that. This team is set. They got Mac. They got, you know, Mitch is going to turn it. You know, you, everything was just going to line up for this team. You felt really good. You felt that Pace and Nagy were going to be two guys that were going to be leading this team for the next 10 years. You felt there was finally going to be stability. 
And then 2019 happens and you go, oh, was this just a, a step back or, or are we still the Bears? And now you get to 2020 and they're 5-1 and one and you, you understood what the 5-1 and one was. There were two miracle victories mixed in there. The offense wasn't playing well, but you're like, you know, they're still, they're grinding it out. They're figuring it out. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll get this offense better. It may not be great. This team may not be able to win a Super Bowl, but they'll figure it out. And then what's happened is everything that's been getting covered up just barely, they've been kicking enough dirt on it just to cover it up just barely these last couple years that they were able to squeeze out eight and eight, that they started off five and one. They ran out of dirt. They had nothing left to cover this up. The warts were fully exposed. And this offense has just pulled this entire team to a screeching halt and to the point where there's no hope for this regime there's no hope for this team and i don't care if they get back on track i think the bears could make the playoffs at eight and eight if they expand to eight teams and i don't care if the bears are eight and eight and get the eighth seed and, and you know lose to the seahawks or the packers or whoever's gonna be sitting there i don't care if this is a playoff team there's no hope for this team. And an 8-8 eight and eight eighth seed is probably the worst thing that could happen to this Chicago Bears team because then you would think that there's a good chance George McCaskey is going to keep everyone in place. And you just can't do it at this point. And, and look, here, here let's, let's look at Pace and Nagy. Let's, let's look at what's going on here. And you guys know I've been a Matt Nagy supporter. And yes, I, I famously had the, you know, if you think Nagy should be fired, shut up. And I will be the first to admit that that headline looks foolish at this point. But I will say this. When the Bears were 5-1 and one, and you were screaming for Matt Nagy to be fired, that did not make sense to me. It still does not make sense to me because you still have to look at the results. And while the results were ugly and the results weren't what you wanted, there were results. There were victories. And I don't think you can just discount that. But at the same time, when a team collapses, and that's what this is, this is a collapse. They have not won a game since mid-October. The Carolina Panthers, that was the last game they won. That Panthers game, that was eons ago. When you collapse like this, the head coach has to put a stop to it, figure it out, get his team ready, and squeeze out a victory. And he has not been able to do that for multiple weeks in a row. He, Matt Nagy has not been able to figure it out. And I get it. His quarterback room is terrible. You know, you were screaming for Mitch Trubisky. He maybe was worse than Nick Foles. His numbers were bad. We'll get into that in a minute. But the fact of the matter is the head coach has to be able to guide the team through these issues. And he has not been able to do it. Head coaches are made by adversity. And Nagy has not responded to this adversity as you've needed him to. So if Matt Nagy is fired at the end of the year, yes, that has to be the move that, that is made. And this comes from the same guy that six weeks ago said that's the move that was ridiculous to make. And I still stand by the fact that a five and one coach does not get fired. I mean, in the middle of the season, whatever you wanted, if they ended up going 10 and six or 11 and five, based on that, if they were still grinding out wins, you don't fire that coach, but you do fire a coach that cannot pilot through adversity. And that's exactly 
where Matt Nagy is right now. And as much as I think Matt Nagy, in essence, the CEO head coach, is a good head coach, I think he understands how to delegate. I think he understands how to trust his coaches. I, I think he understands how to lead a team, lead a franchise. There's a lot of things that go into being a head coach. Matt Nagy, I think, checks pretty much all those boxes. But Matt Nagy brought his offense to Chicago. And whether his offense doesn't work, whether he doesn't have the personnel for it, he certainly doesn't have the quarterback for it, even though Nick Foles was, of course, the quarterback he wanted for it. Now, again, would he want a better quarterback than Nick Foles that understands the system? Sure. But of the quarterbacks that were available, Nick Foles is the guy that was brought in. They can't run their the offense, whatever the reason is. And there, there's multiple reasons, whatever the main reason is. That offense hasn't worked. It's not going to work. It's not going to work next year either with the personnel that they have. So when Matt Nagy is that married to the offense, I don't know how you can separate it. I don't know how you can keep Matt Nagy as the head coach, bring in yet another offensive coordinator, and tell that offensive coordinator, sure, Matt Nagy's going to be around and he's going to have input and he's going to help you along because he's the head coach. But offensive coordinator X, it's your offense now. Put in a new system. We're abandoning the Andy Reid system, the Matt Nagy system, the RPO idea. We're abandoning that. You do whatever kind of offense you want. I don't see how that is a, a possibility. So when you look at regime change and what to do, I don't know how Matt Nagy can survive unless a new general manager, maybe someone like Lewis Riddick, if he was the GM, because we know Riddick loves Nagy. I don't know how you keep him unless the new GM says, no, no, I love Matt Nagy. I love what he brings to the table. I want him to be my head coach. That's the only way I see this working because the bottom line here is Ryan Pace. And I give Ryan Pace all the credit in the world for this defense that he built. And I've mentioned that multiple times before. The defense he's built, he deserves a lot of credit. And this isn't just about it being a good defense and him adding pieces here or there. The pieces, the, the draft picks, pretty much everything he does works for this defense. Kyle Fuller was here, and he kept Kyle Fuller. Eddie Jackson, fourth-round pick. Gibson, off the, you know, the bottom of the heap, basically a, a, a vet minimum guy. Has been pretty good. He hasn't been amazing, but, you know, they couldn't afford to keep Adrian Amos, and HaHa Clinton Dix and, and Tayshawn Gibson have, have done okay. Jalen Johnson been a little bumpier as of late, but you have to be thrilled with how Jalen Johnson has looked as a rookie. Roquan Smith, all pro level this year. Danny Trevathan, he brought in. It was John Fox at the time, but he brought in Danny Trevathan. Now you want to say maybe they should have kept Nick Kwiatkowski? I'll agree with you. Nick Kwiatkowski's the guy Ryan Pace brought in. Khalil Mack, he makes the trade for. Mingo, a great low-level signing. I was, I'm very pleased with Mingo. He brought in Hicks, he beat out Bill Belichick. Belichick wanted to keep Akeem Hicks. Ryan Pace got Akeem Hicks. Bilal Nichols in the draft. Roy Robertson Harris at UDFA. This guy, Eddie Goldman, this guy is great at evaluating defensive talent. And if you disagree with me, you're wrong. Your opinion's wrong. That's how confident I am in how Ryan Pace evaluates defense. Let's look on the offensive side of the ball. He can't evaluate anything. Now, I'm sure there's been some collaboration with Matt Nagy these last couple of years. Matt Nagy was adamant, publicly, privately, 
Cole Komet's my guy. You can't be confident about Cole Komet if you're a Bears fan right now. I know tight ends progress slowly, and there's no reason to slam the door shut on Cole Komet. He certainly doesn't look any different than Adam Shaheen at this point. Jimmy Graham, he's had some moments. He's useful in the red zone, but $9 million guaranteed dollars? That's a lot for Jimmy Graham. And who else wanted Jimmy Graham? Hooper was off the board, but who else was going to sign Jimmy Graham? Couldn't you have gotten Jimmy Graham for 4 or $5 million? Couldn't you have utilized that money in a different way? Could you have brought some of that money to the offensive line that desperately needed it? Allen Robinson, sure, he gets credit for Allen Robinson. A lot of us understand what kind of player Allen Robinson was. So, you know, there's, there's only so much. He, you know, the offensive line, and that's where the focal point has to be, this offensive line, I don't understand the evaluation process on the offensive line. Now, look, you want to build an offensive line, there's ways to do it. You want to get the big tackles and not have the interior. Pace's theory is build up a really strong interior offensive line, a guard, center, guard. Get that really strong. That's why you drafted Whitehair. That's why you invested in Kyle Long. That's why you drafted James Daniels. That was going to be the core of that offensive line. Then you have the average tackles, and that's what Leno and Massey are, average. You want to say maybe they're below average at this point as they've aged? They're not terrible. I know people want to call them terrible. They're not bottom. They're not the bottom guys at their position in the league. They're not. They're average to below average. So I understand how the starting offensive line was built. I don't understand how you can look at that offensive line, the way they ran block, run block last year. Pass blocking wasn't as bad as people made it out to be. The run blocking was. I don't know how you look at that and say, I'm going to fire Harry Heastan, who's always been considered Notre Dame, wherever he's been, an excellent offensive line coach. I'm going to blame him. Kyle Long wasn't the answer, so we're going to bring in Jermaine Effetti, and that's going to be our offensive line. A Jermaine Effetti, who was a vet minimum signing, there was no competition for him if the Bears hadn't signed him, there's a chance he'd still be a free agent. That was how Ryan Pace addressed this offensive line. On top of that, not just the starting offensive line, I want all, I figured all the Bears were going to do was bring in a right guard to start. I certainly thought it wasn't going to be a bet minimum guy. If you, if you remember on this podcast, I talked about Glasgow. I thought he was a great fit for what the Bears wanted to do. He was expensive, but if you you know, used your off your offseason dollars differently, they could have grabbed him. That, that's not an issue. But to only address it with a Fetty and to go into a season with so much uncertainty, first of all, your offensive line never, all five guys never make it through all 16 games. It's too, too much wear and tear on the body. You need to have some depth at the offensive line position. And to go into a season where you understand that injuries are inevitable on an offensive line, when there's a pandemic and you don't even know how much, how many issues you're going to have throughout the season, and they have had issues because of the Cody Whitehair situation of Fetty, they've had situations with COVID, and it was inevitability that that was going to happen. And you addressed it. You said, the depth of my offensive line in week one of the season is going to be a UDFA who you converted from a defensive lineman to an offensive lineman, a UDFA from last year, a seventh-round rookie 
And Jason Spriggs, who was, yes, a second-round pick, but he was a bust. He did not work out for the Packers. He played out his rookie contract, and that was the end of, of, of Spriggs. Those are the four guys that you put on your active 53-man roster and said, these are our backups. That is negligence. And if you took away the names, and I just told you this is this particular team's backup offensive lineman by name, a converted UDFA DL, a convert, uh, a UDFA second year, a seventh round rookie, and a second round bust who just came off his rookie deal, you'd sit there and go, what's that GM doing? You cannot address an offensive line more poorly than Ryan Pace has throughout the years. And again, I, I sat there in the draft going, how are they not addressing the offensive line? I know they did it with, with Simmons and, and Hambright in the seventh round. Seventh round? You had an additional second round pick and ending up with three fifth round picks? And you didn't address anything with an offensive lineman? I, I don't understand. I don't understand the thought process. I don't know how you could possibly think that that was a way to address the offensive line and the quarterback situation. I'm not going to blame Pace completely on Nick Foles. Again, it was his decision, but that was clearly the guy Matt Nagy wanted. The tight ends have, have been a joke. He hasn't been able to get a, a consistent threat opposite uh, Allen Robinson. Anthony Miller hasn't been the guy. Darnell Mooney looks good, but it's, it's, it's still just his rookie year. Everything Ryan Pace has done offensively has basically backfired, other than Allen Robinson. You cannot trust Ryan Pace, and at this point, Matt Nagy, to fix this offense. And because of that, there has to be a regime change. You've got to remove Pace. I'm okay keeping Nagy. I just don't know how you separate Matt Nagy from this offensive mess. So Nagy, Pace, have to go. At this point, please get rid of Ted Phillips because, look, we can hear all we want how Ted Phillips isn't involved in the football operations anymore, and that's true. I, I firmly believe that's the case. But Ted Phillips is involved in the decision on the next GM because he has to be. There's not anyone else in the room. You could have George McCaskey bring in a consultant like he did with Ernie Acorsi, but there, there's not a football mind making football decisions. And because of that, the Bears, the Bears are stuck because I'll be honest, Ryan Pace needs to be fired. I don't trust Ryan Pace to pick the next quarterback who I assume the Bears are going to be picking in the first round of next year's draft. But do you trust George McCaskey to bring in a better general manager than Ryan Pace? I don't. Now, again, I'm fully behind removing pace. I don't trust this ownership to put together a, a new regime, a president of football operations, a general manager, whatever they're going to do. I don't trust this, this ownership group to do it. And therefore, I just think the next regime is just going to get things wrong. I guess the next regime, you know, if they get lucky and get the right quarterback in the first round, that, that they'll, they'll be able to get things right because we know how much a quarterback can cover up the warts. But... You sit there and you throw up your hands because you feel hopeless. It's not just hopeless about this season because the offense is so bad. It's hopeless about the franchise. I have no faith, and none of you should have any faith, that George McCaskey and the McCaskey ownership group can make the right call on who needs to lead this franchise. They, they, they just don't have it. Now, you want to fix this? Bring in a team president that understands football. That's what this organization has always been missing. 
They don't have a team president that understands football. You can say Ted Phillips isn't involved in the football operations. He's the president of the team. He better be involved in, in football operations. And if he's so bad at football operations that you had to remove him and just make him the financial guy, then he shouldn't be the president of the team. I understand he's chummy with George, but at some point you can sit there and say you can't just, you know, hold on to your friends. It doesn't work that way. So they need to bring in a president that understands, you know, the organizational structure, you know, you know, understands the sport, that he can sit there and be the president of a team, but also monitor the football operations and make sure things are running smoothly. Doesn't mean I don't want that president signing free agents, especially low-level free agents. I don't want that president in the war room making draft picks in the third, fourth, fifth round. I want that president to be able to oversee the organization, hire a general manager to make those decisions, and have some level of football structure that the Chicago Bears franchise has been missing for decades. It's time for that level of change. George McCaskey needs to fire Ted Phillips, Ryan Pace, and if it's Matt Nagy too, that's the way it goes, and find a team president. Who that team president is, I don't know. But this team president better understand football organizational structure and put things in place to move this team forward. Because the days of George McCaskey and Ted Phillips picking a general manager on the recommendation of Ernie Accorsi or another consultant, those days have to end. And if they don't, this Bears organization will continue to churn in mediocrity. Lawrence Holmes joins us next. This is Bears Banter. Bill Zimmerman will be right back. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back into the podcast. Very excited for my next guest. Everyone who listens to this podcast, I guarantee knows him well. He is the score's very own Lawrence Holmes at Lawrence W. Holmes on Twitter. And he joins us now. Lawrence, Bill Zimmerman, how are you? I'm good, Bill, man. Thanks for having me on your podcast. I appreciate you jumping on. We've got uh, plenty to discuss here about the Chicago Bears team. So let's, before we get into the present, let me rewind six games or so and see where was Lawrence Holmes when the bears were five and one was this, were you sitting here going, Hey, if it's working great, or were you going, this is a house of cards ready to crumble. I felt like it was a house of cards, but I also felt like winning buys you time. So the, the team looked like a team that was struggling offensively. And it's been that way for, for Matt Nagy for, I, I would say since week 12 of the 2018 season, but if you can scrap out wins and the bears were doing that, I felt like it gave you time to figure some things out. The problem is 
is that the Bears didn't figure any no. of those things out, and things actually got worse for them offensively. And I give Bears fans a lot of credit. I, I think that most Bears fans that I interacted with throughout the season, they weren't buying it. Like they weren't buying five and one. They were just kind of sitting there going, yeah, they're winning, but it's it's winning ugly. And at some point, the defense is not going to give you a, a stellar performance. And, and they're, the thing about the Bears defense this year is it's good, but they're still not taking the ball away and they're still not getting to the quarterback enough that they could help kind of affect change. You know, that, that they sure. can actually take some of these losses and turn them into wins because they're scoring on defense or they're giving the offense super, super short fields. They're good, but not good enough to overcome what, what the deficits of the offense are. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if there's any defenses that can overcome these deficits. I'll go back to the 2000 Ravens. I don't know as bad as that offense was. I mean, this, this offense is just, especially for this current climate on how, effectively offenses run and how lead, how the league rules are for offenses to score 24, 31, 38 points. The fact that the bears are where they are is, is really just beyond comprehension at this point. So let, let's talk about the offense for a second, because we've got, you know, we've got a Matt Nagy problem with, with what this, this scheme is. We've got a quarterback problem. We've got an offensive line problem. To me, the issues started in the off season I didn't love the way they addressed the quarterback position. They ignored the offensive line when I think every Bears fan, every fan from the, the most you know casual to the, the, the most crazed fan knew this offensive line wasn't going to hold up the following season. The Bears just threw a Fetty at it and walked away. Where were you this offseason on their approach, you know, spending money on defense with Quinn, Graham? You know, where, where, where were you? You know, did you think anything they were doing? Because it clear to me they were trying to go all in on this year, and I didn't really like the approach. Where were you on their offseason approach? I, I think that what you said makes so much sense, Bill. Yeah, they they were trying to look like they were going all in, but if you were really going all in on this season, you don't give Jimmy Graham $9 million. You take that $9 million and turn it into serviceable offensive line play, and there were – people that were available for them to, to go and do that. And even throughout the season, there were players that became available, whether they were getting released or whatever, or, or hiding on practice squads, that they could have gone and tried to upgrade their offensive line. I actually like the Quinn move. Uh, but, but here's a crazy stat on Robert Quinn. He got a sack on the first snap that he played. He's played like 350 snaps since then and hasn't gotten a sack. Like that's... And then when you look, Leonard Floyd's got seven and a half sacks this year for the Rams, which, which I, I think would have him at, at this point still leading the Bears in sacks, which is, is crazy. So I, I think there were other places where they could have addressed some of their issues. And the Jimmy Graham thing, and he's been productive. I, I don't want to act like Jimmy Graham has not done a decent job, but that was their first signing. Like they jumped out to go sign Jimmy Graham. And I'm like, who else was in the marketplace? Like, like who was out here just clamoring to get Jimmy Graham? It felt like a player that should have been a secondary or tertiary target for them in free agency, and it was a primary target for them. And then you back that up with them drafting a tight end 
And Jimmy Graham is seemingly taking snaps away from Cole Komet. And there's some worry now that maybe Cole Komet wasn't ready. And he was the first pick that they made in this year's draft. The offensive line thing that that the fact that they have a left tackle that Phil Emery drafted. Not great. Like that, <laughs> that, that, that that's a, a regime ago. And that guy still starts for you. And you haven't found competition better. You haven't gone out and found and Charles Leno's not not terrible. Like I don't again, I'm not trying to to say that he's he's trash. He's not. But you mean to tell me that in the eight years that he's been with the organization, you haven't been able to find anyone that can push him? Like these these are the questions that I think a lot of Bears fans have for Ryan Pace and, and, and his team building. I think that it's clear when you look at what he's capable of doing as a general manager, he's good with linebacking position. He's good with finding guys up front, whether it's free agency or the draft. On the offensive side, he's a nightmare. I like David Montgomery, but I don't think I don't think that David Montgomery does anything that you can't find anywhere else. Like there's no reason to to move up to to pick him. I don't even know if you needed to take a draft pick. I think that there are players that could have given you the type of production that you've gotten from Montgomery and would have been undrafted. They moved up to to pick Anthony Miller a few years ago. That seems ridiculous now because he's been one of the most inconsistent players that the Bears have had. And I think that there's some greatness in Anthony Miller, but until he finds the consistency, he's, he's never, ever going to reach it. So all the money seemed to go on to the defensive side and on the offensive side, if you just look at the, the disparity between how much was paid to the Bears' defensive line, just Mack, Hicks, and Quinn versus the Bears' offensive line, it'll tell you everything you need to know about where they thought their strength was, and they thought if they strengthened the strength, then they were going to be fine. Yeah, they, they thought they'd cover up the offensive warts because their defense would be so good, would be next level, that, that they could cover it up. And clearly that's not the case. And and on the offensive line, and you're right, you know, he's he's ignored the tackle positions. He brought in Massey, but Leno is, is, is still a guy that's been there. Whitehair and Daniels are his, he's never addressed it on day one of the draft. He's addressed it three times on day two. Grasso is still bouncing around. He's doing okay. But Daniels and Whitehair, oh, by the way, are starting when they're healthy. And everything else is he's just kind of picking things out of a hat. Because if you take the names away from it, and I just told you that an NFL team going into a pandemic season that was going to have a lot of uncertainty, their backup offensive lineman would be a converted defensive lineman UDFA, a second-year UDFA, a seventh-round rookie, and a second-round bust coming off his rookie contract. You'd sit there and go, what is that, what is that general manager doing? The, the coward thing is so interesting because there's never been a – Making that transition is rough, and I want to give the young man credit for embracing his opportunity to play in the NFL. From the moment that they put him out there, you be at practices and you go, oh, run play. Oh, pass play. Why? Because you could tell from his set. The weight shift. Mm-hmm. You, from him, not the other guys, from him. He was a 100% key 
on what the Bears were going to do. He's never gotten better. And the physical skills that they thought would be there, they haven't shown up. And I think as far as experiments goes, this this experiment has gone on a really long time with him getting important reps for a team that believed, whether it was 2019 or 2020, that they were a playoff team. So how you don't address those things is beyond me. And I think that they felt like, well, we'll make this switch at quarterback. And that's going to be the deodorant for all of it, that we just need someone in here who can run the system. And Mitch can't run the system. Once we get someone who understands what it is that we're doing conceptually, things will look better. And they looked worse. They looked worse. The Bears talked about all offseason long. And granted, Foles didn't have any time to work with these guys. And that's something that happened around the league because of the pandemic. But they talked about how every one of their offensive coaches he's played with or played for. Everyone. Play with Bill Lazor. Play with Matt Nagy. Play with John Filippo. So all the people that are in contact with your quarterback and, and the offensive line coach, he worked with him too. Sure. Everyone who's in contact with your quarterback, they know what he knows and they know that he knows the system. Then Foles gets out there and sees that they can't really run the system. And you end up with the situation on Monday night football where he told the truth to Brian Greasy about the things that are being called but can't be protected and can't be run. And it, it's bared out. On top of it, his skills are diminishing at a rapid pace. So whatever you thought you were going to get from Nick Foles, you aren't getting it now. Like, that's that's no longer the, the guy that's great at the post-snap read on RPOs. It doesn't exist anymore. He can barely move. He's making terrible decisions and terrible throws on top of it, and you add it all up, and Bill, you, you have a horrible situation where the fan base is now like everybody got to go, like every all the way up. I had someone, I had someone call my show and say that that the Bears should be for the McCaskey should be forced to sell the team. Like <laughs> that's not how that works. I mean, like they're not Donald Sterling. Like sure. They haven't done anything wrong. Like they're nice people who just don't win. And that's not cause for them to lose their ownership, especially considering it's the charter franchise of the NFL. Yeah. And we're, we're going to dive all that in a minute. One thing on Coward, and I agree. I, I, I love the idea. Harry, he's standing I'm like, hey, look, he's a great offensive line coach. Maybe he can do it. Thoughts of Big Cat Williams going through my head, but it didn't work out, in fact. And I know not all this can point to Coward, but. I crunched some numbers a couple of days ago. Coward, the run game when Coward played, 2.99 yards per carry. Any other combination, 4.57. Wow. That's crazy. Let me go back to something that you said, because it's easy to dismiss. Harry, he stands one of the most respected offensive line coaches in the NFL. Matt Nagy didn't think that he was doing the job. And now you understand that it wasn't the coaching. It, right. At least at, at the position level, it wasn't the coaching. It was the scheme and the personnel. Same thing with Mark Helfrich. I feel like with Helfrich, I felt like he was a little too honest 
about and now if you go back and listen to some of the press conferences that Mark Helfrich gave, he would tell you about the disappointments of plays that were missed by Mitch that he called them layups that you got to make the layups and Mitch would miss him and he's been shuffled off and it felt like what Nagy wanted was he wanted people to affirm his system that his system works. So he brought in people that were looking for opportunities and none of those people are going to push back. John Filippo was up for the Bears job when Nagy got it. And since then, has, has had a precipitous fall from grace as far as coaching goes. Bill Lazor wasn't even in the league. So, I mean, like they're, the guys that he brought in are in no position to challenge him because they were on the street when he brought them right. in. And, and the guys that he got rid of, I, I think that it, it should cause all of us to maybe look a little harder at that decision to make changes with your coaching staff. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I said it at the time and I was a naggy supporter and I, I've, I've tried to stick with him for a very long time, but when the head coach blows out the coaching staff and replaces it, it almost never works. And it nope. obviously here did not work again. So let, let's fast forward here. Post Packers game. No need to talk about the Packers game. It was oh. exactly what it was. Um, before we get into major changes, Matt Nagy calls out the defense and the defense did not play well, to be fair. Now, a lot of people at the on the other side of that coin say, but how many wins has the defense given Matt Nagy? Did you have a problem with him calling out the defense? No, I I've, look, we were all thinking it on that seconds last touchdown. We were all going Did the Bears defense just quit. Like, did they right. the effort on that play? was not up to their standard. I do think that... I think that Negi's His emotions about it are genuine. His display of those emotions felt a little contrived. It felt like this was the moment that I have to do the coach thing publicly, and I have to act angry, and I have to... I have to on the table and I have to tell people how disappointed I am and all this stuff. I'm waiting for the moment that he does that with the offense because there haven't really been moments like that where he's done it with the offense. I'm curious to see what type of performance this Bears defense gives for the rest of the season after that. And it also it, it, it needs to be noted whenever Akeem Hicks has gone out. Oof. This Bears defense doesn't look the same. I am a, a, a Khalil Mack guy. I love watching that guy play. But I think that over the last two years, we have learned how valuable that guy is. Yeah, no, we really have. And it's they're going to have some really difficult decisions this offseason if it's this regime or a new regime because the contracts that are most movable for a team that's going to have a bad cap space is Hakeem Hicks. And if you move him off, you un you have you understand what kind of hit you're going to give that defense because you're right, the defenses don't look the same. But speaking of regime regime changes, do you think George and and you know I've heard things George is upset and he's 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 you know going after his, his guys and he's, he's disappointed. Do you think one that George with two years on Nagy's contract in a year and who knows what they want to, what they think of Ted Phillips. Do you think George can step up and say, all right, that's it and make those massive changes. And the bigger question 
can you possibly trust the trust the McCaskies and whether Ted Phillips is involved or not in hiring the right people and restructuring the way they need to to get this organization back on track? The evidence would say no. The answer to that question is no. The last part of your question, the evidence would say no. Um, I don't see how you can have Ryan Pace pick your next quarterback. And ideally, that's what's happening in the 2021 draft. That you're going to have to draft a quarterback. Do you really want Ryan Pace to do it? If you look at the quarterbacks that he's brought in, this is the list, Bill. He gave you Mike Glennon. He traded up to not take Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes for Mitchell Trubisky. He gave you Chase Daniel and paid him $10 million to hold Mitch's hand for two years and then trades for Nick Foles and agrees to paying him $21 million. So you're going to have Nick Foles again next year. Like he's at least going to be here next year being in your quarterback room and Tyler Bray. These are the quarterbacks that he's brought in. Why in the world would you allow for him to make the, the observation and the pick on your next quarterback? I have some love for Matt Nagy. I think that it's probably more likely that he succeeds as a head coach the next time that he's, I think that's fair, a head coaching job. But if, if I were advising the McCaskies on hiring, I would say you should hire a, a general manager. I would honestly, I would tell them they should hire a president of football operations and allow that person to hire the general manager. But I would say to them, if you like Nagy and think that he is a great coach, tell whoever is going to be the general manager, we would like you to at least interview him for his job. And if if you say no, we're not going to be mad, but we think that there's value there. If they want to move on from Nagy, I'm good with that too. The problem with the, the Bears as a, as a franchise is, is they're so quaint. They're very quaint. I do think that, that they were angered by what they saw on Sunday Night Football, as they should be. But what happens after that? Could, would the Bears ever do what the Lions did? This is another family-owned team. Would, would they ever do what the Lions did? Precedent tells us no. I would love to be wrong, and I wonder what, what is the, 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 the point of no return. Is it losing to the Lions to, to have that lost streak go to six? Is it losing out the season? Is it getting embarrassed at the end of the season by Green Bay? Bill, let's be real about this. Had the Bears won against Green Bay, they were in the mix to be a playoff team. And Her schedule's still, easy. And still win the division because you have a game in hand against the Packers and you play them again. Them losing and the fact that the Packers had lost the week before and kind of cracked the door open for the Bears. Sure. The fact that coming off a an off week with a rivalry game on an island on Sunday night football with an opportunity to get back in the division race, with an opportunity to get back into the playoff race, they gave that performance. And, and if you were ever looking for a reason to move along from everyone 
involved in this regime, they they signed a, 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 that performance on Sunday to give any ammunition that the McCaskies would want to make sweeping changes. And quite honestly, I hope that they do. Yeah, and I, I think they have to because if, uh, if Trubisky was in his third year of his contract, if this was Trubisky's third year, things would line up for one more year of pace and naggy. But the fact of the matter is, this, as you said, this is the offseason where you have to pick the next quarterback. So you aren't giving Pace and Nagy one more year. You're having them direct the franchise for at least two, maybe three, four years by selecting that quarterback. Yeah, and I don't want that. I don't I I have more faith in Matt Nagy to find me a quarterback than I do in Ryan Pace. But again, if someone else that comes in here wants to move on from Nagy, I'm I'm totally okay with that like things have got to change like it's it's embarrassing when you look at the bears over the 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 length of time that the jaguars have been in the nfl and compare them to the bears the charter franchise of the league they're the same franchise like the bears are the same franchise as cleveland yeah i mean that's that's where things stand and your point about mitch is so on because even now, like even on Sunday, you you saw Mike Tirico and Tony Dungy treating him like he's still a rookie. It's a fourth year quarterback with a lot of starts under his belt. Like this isn't a guy who's played five games. This guy has played almost fifty games. Look where Russ Wilson was after four years. <laughs> right. Like like you, if if you know, you know. And I'm not saying that Mitch can't play in this league for a long time. I think that by the end of his career, he'll be in the league for ten years as somebody's backup and maybe maybe he turns into Alex Smith at the end of it maybe but you're seeing him make bill how how irate were you on the on the second and, and four where he goes out of bounds <laughs> instead of throwing the ball away for a three-yard loss you turn third and four into third and seven and I know you know the numbers that's a big difference. It might not seem like it, but it's third huge. four to third and seven is a huge difference when you're talking about conversion of first down. Yeah, that that play reduced me to an all capitals guy on Twitter because <laughs> I was so frustrated. And I looked at myself in shame going, you just did that. But yeah, that's that's where it is. You can't be making those mistakes. And they, they just, you know, the clean break opportunities there, Lawrence, and, and they've got to do it. My biggest problem with the clean break is, you know, and like you said, I just don't, you know, you can bring in Ernie, of course, or whoever you want to consult. No, I'm not saying Ernie again. I'm just saying, you know, someone to consult to help you make that decision, but you're still making the decision. I just can't trust them to make it. All right. Let me ask you this. And and I, I know that you got stuff to do, but as someone who, who is all about Chicago, if I said to you right now, you got to be in or out. Theo Epstein for Bears president. What would you say? I'd I'd be more in than out. As, as you know, you you saw you know Paul Day Podesta have some success there. There there's something about knowing how to run an organization. I don't want yes. I don't want I don't want Theo Epstein sitting there you know telling me you know what what offensive guard we should pick to play right guard next year. Right, he's but not in the draft room. He's just there to put your overseas. organizational structure together. Yeah, look, I, I'm open to some kind of what has been happening the last 30 years hasn't worked, so perhaps it's time to try something new. 
So I, I'd be open to anything that they want to try at this point. All right. There he is. Lawrence Holmes from 670 The Score. You know him well. Lawrence, thanks so much for jumping on under, um, you know, some fun topics. Let's just call it that. Yeah, they so, are fun okay. topics, man. Like like we're not sad in Chicago. Like we, we all kind of expected this. It just it it would be nice if the Bears were good. Like yeah, going to Hamilton, it would be nice. It would be nice. <laughs> If the Bears had a quarterback, like it would be nice, but they don't. So we just remember if there's a Bears fan who's 70 years old, the best quarterback he's ever had is McManor Cutler. 70. Think (laughs) about this. I think Mitch right now is fifth all time in passing yards. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Like you're gonna look at Mitch Trubisky and say, even if you are the most biggest Mitch critic, he's one of the best quarterbacks the Bears have ever had. You're right. He is one of the best quarterbacks in Bears history. That is a shame. But, yeah, that was like I used to say that to people about Nick Foles. I'm like, Nick Foles to me just is the perfect Bears quarterback. He's just – he's Shane Matthews. He's Nick Foles. He's, you know, Harbaugh. You know, whoever you want to throw out there, Walsh. It's just that same list. He just he just fits right in that list. Just the perfect guy. There's so. no there's no dynamic aspect of his game at all. None. Yeah. So, all right, Lawrence. Thanks so much for jumping on. We'll do it again another time. Thanks. Thank you, Bill. All right, there he is, Lawrence Holmes, six seventy. The score and pretty much all over Chicago. We all know him very well. Lots uh, lots of great insight and analysis from Lawrence there, and plenty to think about here for the Chicago bears is they continue down here, these last five games and looks like there's a lot on the line. These last five games from playoffs to firing. So going to be an interesting one to say the least. Now coming up here for the bears, the Detroit lions and the team that Mitch Trubisky loves to torch. But here's the thing. Mitch Trubisky loved to torch Matt Patricia and his insistence to always play man defense. So what's going to happen today with Daryl Bevel? Is he going to, today, what's going to be happening this week when Daryl Bevel and, and his, uh, his new coaching staff, same coaching staff, maybe different philosophies, kind of change things up here for, for the Bears game. It's going to be interesting. Both these teams seemingly headed for changes in the offseason, but... For the Bears, you know, the Lions, it's guaranteed. The Bears, it's still up in the air. And if the Bears get hot, and based on how they've played the last six weeks, seven weeks, really, you cannot, cannot assume the Chicago Bears can beat the likes of Detroit and Houston, Minnesota, even Jacksonville. You can't make those assumptions the way this team is playing. But, you know, Matt Nagy has kind of said it. All it takes is that one win to kind of get some confidence back, get the team from spiraling and, and get back on track and win some games. And if the NFL does in fact go to an 18th week and an eighth playoff team, the Chicago Bears, if you look at the way the NFC is, is breaking here, you're still just going to have one team out of the NFC East. We know the Packers are going to win the division. We know the Saints are going to win the division. So, you know, you, you have some of those teams lined up. Tampa Bay almost certainly is, is going to be in the playoffs. And then in the NFC West, you've got the Rams and you've got the Seattle Seahawks. The Cardinals are only sitting at six and five, and that's the seven seed. So when you get to the eight seeds right now, you're looking at San Francisco, 
you're looking at Chicago. That's the where you're sitting at Minnesota. That those five and six teams. I think eight and eight is going to be enough. Eight and eight, I think, is going to get a team into the playoffs. Nine and seven, a hundred percent will. I'm I'm confident about that. But the way this this season is going, eight and eight should be enough to get into the playoffs. So the Bears are sitting at five and six with a lot of winnable games. The Packers, week seventeen, if they have things locked up, Aaron Rodgers is not going to play in that game. So that is a winnable game, potentially, depending on where Green Bay is. So the Bears have a lot of winnable games, and all they have to do is go 3-2 and two to get into that playoff position, 4-1, and one, if it ends up being seven teams, and they have to go 9-7, and because I don't think they can get to 10-6. and six. I think that's an impossibility at this point. They're, they can't get that hot again. So a lot on the line here, because if that doesn't happen, and the Bears continue to play in this current trend, well, then you're wondering of the jobs of Nagy Pace and even Ted Phillips. So this is an interesting stretch here. This Lions team, they did not like Matt Patricia. I think this Lions team is going to be fired up. You know, they were liking posts about Patricia being fired and, and, and all this stuff. So they have an idea of what they want to do this week, what changes they're going to do this week. And, and they could be very motivated to go out and tell ownership, in essence, that Matt Patricia was the wrong guy for this job and that they are ready to play football now, that he was leading them down the wrong path. I think Detroit's going to win this game. I think we're probably going to see some differences in the defense and and, and Mitch Trubisky's not going to play quite as well. I don't think he'd be terrible. It's still the same Lions personnel. But I think Mitch Trubisky isn't going to play as well as he usually does against Detroit. I think this Detroit team is going to be emotional, be fired up, want to prove that they are a quality football team that was just mismanaged, and I think Detroit's going to come out and win. Now, if the Bears do happen to win this one and get back to 6-6, six and six, then, all, like I said, all it takes is that one win to turn things around mentally and, and get on the right mindset again moving forward for the last four weeks of the season. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I'm going to say Detroit wins a close one, maybe something like 20, 20 to 17, something like that. So we'll see if I'm right next week. Talk to y'all soon, everybody. Bear down. Adios. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G Podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts.